Take your Bibles this morning and open them to Luke chapter 5. Gospel of Luke chapter 5. If you uh, remembered or paid much attention last, uh, I guess two weeks ago, um, we covered a passage in Luke 5, but we left one verse out. And that was on purpose. Uh, Part of going through the Gospel of Luke, like we are, is uh, looking at every verse, because we believe every verse matters. So we're walking verse by verse through this book. And I left out verse 16 on purpose, because I think it deserves its own attention this morning. And so we will look just at one verse for a few short minutes today. uh, Verse 16. It's going to be, at least it has been for me in studying it, a very challenging verse. And so I want to let you know that up front, it will be challenging if you are uh, letting God's Word into your heart. But that's a good thing. Uh, We want God's Spirit to convict us. We want God's Word to challenge us because that means growth. And we want to grow. We want to grow as believers. We want to grow into maturity. We want to grow in the faith. We want to grow in the spiritual disciplines. And so this morning's verse, I hope, will be challenging for us in a very good way that we will walk away today accepting the challenge to seek growth by God's grace. This morning, we are going to look at the importance of prayer in the life of the Lord. And in turn, we will see why it should be important for us and um, I think if we were all going to be honest here this morning, we would admit we could all grow in our prayer life and our prayer devotion. A prayer is one of the great spiritual disciplines that every Christian should be regularly practicing. And I call it a discipline because uh, as a believer, as a redeemed and regenerated Christian, we may inherit immediately the desire to pray, But it is a discipline in the sense that we have to learn how to pray and we have to work at developing a life of prayer. That doesn't just happen overnight. If you know somebody who is a a prayer warrior, as we call them, or is devoted to praying for the church or for people or instances, that didn't happen overnight. They grew into a person of prayer. It is a discipline. And part of that discipline is being a regular person of prayer you cannot have just a few moments a year or a few moments a month of good praying time and call yourself uh, sitting well in that spiritual discipline that spiritual discipline is regular times of set aside times of prayer and we could even say that it's not just a spiritual discipline discipline but perhaps it is one of the most important spiritual disciplines isn't it and it may be natural for us to have that desire but we have to understand it is one of the disciplines that deserves most of our attention there are are few things in the Christian life that is more important than having a set aside time of prayer regular times of prayer in our lives And yet, like I said, if we were being honest here, if we surveyed and asked the average Christian how often they set aside for uninterrupted, intentional, focused prayer times, if if we were being honest, we would say rarely do we do that. We rarely have those 
blocked out moments where we are going to lay down and lay aside everything and pray. I think that's for multiple reasons. I think it's because of a uh, lack of maturity, for one, a lack of discipleship, a lack of growth. You may be growing older as a human being, but you may still be a spiritual infant. You may not be growing spiritually. And a lack of a prayer life is often an indication of immaturity in your Christian faith. You simply haven't grown into developing an intentional prayer life yet. Or we could say that the prayer life of people is lacking because they lack understanding the discipline or the, the dependence that they need to have upon the Lord. We, we get caught in that trap too often, don't we? We think that we can fix our own issues. We think we can go through this life without uh, seeking the guidance of the Lord or the wisdom of the Lord or seeking His intervention in our life. So people don't have a prayer life because they lack understanding the necessity of depending upon the Lord. You could also say people don't have an active prayer life because they lack understanding of what prayer actually is. They don't know what it means. I don't know how to do it. That, that list can go on and on and on of why people uh, who attend church and would call themselves believers don't actually spend much time praying. I do want to point out the consequence to this though. It's unfortunate, but it's true. If you have a lack of a prayer life, an active, regular prayer life, it will result in weak faith. It will result in a misguided focus upon your life. And it will result in a superficial relationship with God. Those are the inevitable consequences of not actively praying. We can now, as Christians, who desire to have a relationship with God, who desire to have a strong faith, who desire to be focused upon heavenly things, we now begin to see the importance of having an active prayer life. Because if you're weak in your prayer times, you're going to be weak in your faith, your focus, and your relationship with God. We could say it like this. Prayer is so necessary that a Christian who does not pray is like a fish who does not have any water. A Christian who does not pray is like a man with no oxygen. Like a heart with no blood in it. You're lacking. In fact, a Christian who does not pray will be a wondering and an unsatisfied Christian. You'll be wandering around, wondering what God wants you to do, and you will be unsatisfied in your walk with God. It's that simple. And so you have to ask the question now, does that sound like you? Does, does that describe you? Do you feel like you're just wandering around in this life trying to figure out how to work out your Christian faith? Or do you feel like you're unsatisfied in your Christian walk? Unsatisfied with where you're at in life? Likely the reason is because you're lacking in your prayer life. We could even take it further. A lack of a prayer life in the Christian results in a more destructive pattern. It will result in captivity to sin, confusion in your purpose in this life, and a lack of motivation or desire for ministry. 
if you do not thrive in your prayer times with God, you'll find yourself down a path held captive to sin that you don't want to be in. You'll find yourself wondering, what's your value in this world? What's your purpose in this life? You'll find yourself not even desiring to serve others. I would even say that the importance of prayer is perhaps evidenced in no clearer way than in the ministry of the believer to other people and in the relationship of the believer to God. If you struggle in your ministry, if you struggle in serving others, if you struggle in your walk with God, it's probably because you have a weak prayer life or a non-existent prayer life. So right there, for many of us, because we get this, I get this question a lot as a pastor, why am I struggling with my relationship with God? Why am I struggling finding a purpose in life? Why am I struggling finding God's will for my life? Why am I struggling for finding my niche of service? Here's the answer for us. It's probably because you're lacking in your prayer life. You're not seeking God. You're not seeking His will. You're not seeking His guidance. Lack of prayer will always manifest itself in these ways. Weak faith, misguided focus, superficial relationship with God, captivity to sin, confusion in purpose, lack of desire for ministry. So let's stop here before we go any further and ask the question, what exactly is prayer? Because if we're being honest, it's mysterious to most of us, right? There's a lot of confusion around what prayer actually is. And if even if you've been in church for a long time, you may have an idea about what prayer is, but there's still this mysterious factor of, of it and, and exactly what it is and what it's supposed to be done. So let me just give you a very simple, uh, what I think a synopsis of what prayer is. I think the very nature of prayer is an expression of dependency and faith an expression of communion with God and an expression of worship to God. The very nature of prayer is an expression of dependency and faith, an expression of your communion with God, and an expression of worship. I was sharing those three things with a friend as we were talking about what prayer is this last week, and he added to that list, which I think should be added to that list, it's also an expression of obedience. I would couple that under the heading of worship, but I do want to point that out. A prayer is an expression of obedience. We are commanded to pray as Christians. That is part of our spiritual worship. So let me break down these three areas real quick. What do I mean by this dependency and faith? Well, Every time we express a request to God, a need for God, a need to God, or... A need for others, praying in intercession, that's an expression that we are dependent upon God and that we need God. We are admitting in that moment of prayer that we need God's powerful intervention in this area, this, this issue, whatever it may be. A particular sin, a family issue, a problem you can't overcome, an uncertain future, a struggling with this, whatever it may be. Prayer is your opportunity to express your dependency upon God for your needs. It's not just that, but it's also your opportunity to express your faith in God 
that you believe He can do something about it. It's not only to say, God, I'm in desperate need here, but also, I believe you can intervene. I believe you can work something here. I believe you can step in. I believe you can guide me. I can believe you can intercede. I can believe all these things that you can do to help me know the right decision to make, the right steps to take for freedom from sin, for understanding an issue. So, as a practical example, in this, in this kind of fashion or definition, prayer expresses that we cannot meet our needs on our own, but we believe God can and God will. Prayer means that we admit we cannot meet the needs of others on our own, but we believe God can and, and God will. For us, it, believe, it means that we believe we cannot be holy or forgive our sins on our own, but we believe God can make us holy and God does forgive us of our sins. It means that we believe we cannot even do good things in this life, cannot do ministry without God's help and God's aid, but God will give us help and aid to do good works in this life. Prayer is an expression of our dependency upon a loving God and our faith that He is good and loving enough to intervene. That's why we can read in Hebrews chapter 4, Verses 14, 15, and 16. Where the writer says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every, every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help Grace to help in our time of need. The very basic idea of prayer is to draw near to God in confidence for mercy and grace to help us. It's our expression of dependency and our expression of faith. Prayer is also an expression of your communion with, with God. This is the relational aspect of prayer. In fact, we can say the fellowship or the relationship that we have with God is maintained through prayer. Now, hear me clearly, it's initiated and it's sustained through Christ. But once we have that initiated and sustained relationship with God through Christ, then that relationship with God is most satisfying and most flourishing when we have an active prayer life. That's what it means, church, to walk with God. To spend time with Him in prayer. So we could say it like this, if your prayer life suffers, you will find that your walk with God suffers. You cannot have a continuing and vibrant walk with God without an active prayer life. Some people think that they do, and some people think that they can, that everything will be right and okay in their Christian life. They don't need to pray. Let me tell you, that's false. You will not have a vibrant relationship with God without an active prayer life. That is because when believers spend time in prayer, they are spending time with their Heavenly Father. Conversely, the opposite of that is true. No 
prayer life means no time with God. Prayer in the relational aspect of it is a drawing near to an almighty God who loves you. Prayer is seeking His presence in a very special and intimate and personal way. You, you realize that's what's happening with prayer. God is meeting with you. Prayer is a seeking to be very close to His heart. You begin to understand the magnitude of the God that we belong to. And if that's what prayer is, what a privilege it must be. That's why we read in James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. That verse also says, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Let me tell you, that's impossible without prayer. But if you draw near to God in prayer, He will draw near to you. So if you do commune with God, if you have a right walk and a good relationship with God, you'll be spending time in prayer. And if you do not spend time in prayer, you will not have a fully satisfying walk with God. But prayer is, thirdly, also an expression of worship. It's an expression of praising God and thanking God for all that He's done and all that He's worked. First in creation, you and I get to enjoy the beauty of creation, the intricacy of what He's done in the universe. We get to praise Him and thank Him for that. But it's also a praising God and a thanking God for the work that He's done in our own personal lives. In this regard, prayer is an opportunity for worship. It's meant to be a personal and intimate way to worship God for all that He has done in us and through us. All that He has worked within our hearts. All the grace that He's poured within us. All the ways that He has revealed Himself to us. Do you imagine if God had not revealed Himself to us? We'd be doomed. The very fact that we can open the Scriptures, that we can understand who God is and know His heart is praiseworthy. And in prayer, you have that opportunity to personally praise Him for such a thing. In prayer, you have the opportunity to personally praise Him for His work in those areas of your heart that nobody else knows about. Every victory over a temptation to lust, every victory over a temptation to cheat or lie or steal or whatever you want to fill in the blank there is worth praising God for because He's worked so wonderfully in you. And in prayer, that's our opportunity. Prayer is our opportunity to intimately express what God's goodness means to us. Have you ever been overwhelmed with the goodness of God in your life? Thought about the blessings and the graces that He's lavished upon you? The things that you don't deserve? For me right now, it's that we're having a baby. That's my opportunity to praise God for His goodness. Prayer is our opportunity to completely exalt God in our own personal lives to acknowledge personally His worth for worship. His glory. His holiness. This is what it means to pray. These are what the Psalms are. 
The Psalms are expressions of dependency and faith. The Psalms are ex- expressions of communion with God. The Psalms are expressions of worship. If you want to grow in your prayer life, pray through the Psalms. Walk verse by verse. Let them strike your heart and lift those things up to the Lord. I promise you, your prayer life will change drastically. So while much, much more could be said about what prayer is, and we could walk through Scripture and see all the accounts of prayer that's good, but for time's sake we won't. We'll just stick to these three areas, the dependency and faith and communion and worship to summarize the very foundation of what prayer is because I think these three generalizations can encompass everything of what it means to pray. And so it's with that understanding this morning we come to verse 16. If that's what prayer is, then what we see in verse 16 stresses to us what the Lord thinks about prayer. His actions in verse 16, what He he does next after He heals this leper, demonstrate to us what He thinks of these three things. Faith, communion, and, and worship. And it demonstrates to us how important He thinks it is not only for his own life, but for us. We get to see what it means to rightly practice the spiritual discipline of prayer by the actions of our Lord. So look with me in Luke chapter 5 and let's back up to verse 15. Just for context sake, and we will read verse 15 and then verse 16. You remember in this passage, he's just cleansed a man who is full of leprosy. It's been in verse 13, he says, It is my heart, my will, my desire to clean, cleanse you. And, and immediately the leprosy leaves this guy. Because of that, verse 15. But now even more, the report about him, about Jesus, went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Verse 16. But he, Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Rather simple, straightforward verse. Not a whole lot of detail in this verse, but the implications of this verse, especially in the context, can teach us much about the importance of prayer, especially in the life of Christ Jesus. The first thing I want you to notice from verse 16 is that prayer for the Lord was a regular practice. In the Greek... Luke even phrases it in such a way that it denotes the regular aspect of the Lord praying. But that's even seen in some English translations when they use the word would. He would withdraw and pray. It's not that he did withdraw and pray, an isolated event, but it's that he would, a continuing regular event. That's what Luke wants to convey here with this verse. Regularly, Christ would Get away and pray. We find just a few examples of this throughout the Gospels. Christ praying before major events. Luke chapter 6 verse 12. He's praying before He chooses the apostles. Luke chapter 22 verse 39 and 46. Mark 14, 32 and 42. Matthew 26, 36 and 46. John 17. All four of the Gospels have Him praying and praying intensely in the garden before the cross. Over and over again throughout the Gospels, before 
major events, Christ is often found withdrawing and praying. In other general aspects, we see in Matthew 14.23 and Mark 6.46 that He's uh, praying before He's walking on water. I wanted to read to you Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed from the group of people and went out to a desert place. And there He prayed. And the disciples, Simon and those who were with Him, had to search for Him. Luke chapter 3, verse 21, He's praying at His baptism. Luke chapter 9, verse 18, He's praying before Peter confesses Him as Christ. Eight and twenty-nine, he's praying on the Mount of Transfiguration before he's transfigured. Luke chapter eleven, verse one, he's praying before the disciples even ask him how to pray, and he gives the Lord's prayer. These are just a few snapshots of the Lord throughout the Gospels praying. And I share this with you to say that the Gospels even report our Lord is a man of prayer, of regular prayer. He saw it as something worth giving his time to, as spending his energy on. And so this is the first way that we see the importance of prayer for you and I, and the importance that our Lord puts on prayer, by the very fact that he himself saw fit to do it regularly, saw fit to do it often. He saw it in the context of this passage with verse 15, he saw prayer as more important than popularity. He saw prayer as more important than his relationship with the disciples. He even sees prayer as more important than healing the masses. Because in verse 15, verse 16, he walks away from all of that to pray. And so if Christ is willing to take time in his life and drop everything, even these very good things, to spend time praying and to spend time cultivating a life of prayer, how much more should we follow his suit? It must be true of us as well, church, that we value prayer as our Lord does. <clears throat> And so in a challenging sort of way, we must ask the question. We must take inventory of our own lives. We must examine our actions to see if we place the same kind of importance on prayer as the Lord does. And I'm not talking about your desires to pray, your convictions to pray. I'm talking about your practices of prayer. Do your practices of intentional prayer convey the same kind of value that Christ conveyed about prayer? Are you taking intentional time out of your day to spend in prayer? We struggle with this. But nonetheless, this is what we are to do. This is healthy for us, good for us. Are you praying beyond the normal time of a personal Bible study? If you get up in the morning or in the evening or sometime in the day and have a quiet time, are you praying before the more than just before and after your personal quiet time? Are you having focused times of prayer beyond just being alone and driving downtown or praying before your meal or praying a quick one here and there before class or 
anything like that? Are you, can you actually call yourself a person of, of prayer? Because I'll say it again, your spiritual health and your spiritual maturity depends on prayer. Depends on giving yourself over to this discipline, on cultivating this discipline just as the Lord did. It depends upon expressing your faith in God for your life, your communion with God, your worship of God. We must know the tremendous blessing that it is to have access to the Father. We don't have to go through a priest or anything else. We can pray. Converse with God. Let's move rather quickly again through the rest of the verse here this morning. The next few things we find in verse 16 show us how the Lord practiced prayer. First, He would withdraw Himself. And again, in the context, this is a major action of the Lord that stresses His importance regarding prayer. The crowds are coming in to hear Him teach. Crowds are coming in to be healed of Him. Mark chapter 1 tells us in the same passage, He was unable to enter a town openly because so many crowds would come in and swamp Him. And so, as we look at verse 15, you and I see this as a, a prime opportunity for ministry, a prime opportunity to meet the needs of the people, to teach them, to share the Gospel. And yet, Luke would interrupt his account here tell us that the Lord walked away from all of that to pray. He, he stopped all the ministry for a moment. Stopped all the teaching. Stopped all the healing to be alone and pray. You know what that tells us? It tells us Jesus had His priorities right and He prioritized prayer over those good things. Christ gives so much of His life and so much of the Gospel is pictures and narratives and parables and other things showing us how often Christ gave Himself to meet the needs of people, to teach people, to love on people, to share the Gospel and evangelize people. So when we come to a verse here and we see how important it is for Christ to reach the masses, we come to a verse here where He walks away from the masses to pray that elevates for us the value of prayer in His own life. So instead of being consumed by their popularity, instead of being consumed by the power that they could bring Him, He was willing to withdraw away and pray. Leave the busy ministry. Leave the crazy work schedule. Leave the friends and family and the disciples and all of that. To be alone if only for a moment. And be with God. As I was thinking about that and, and meditating on that, I thought about myself. How, how different is that from me? How different is that from us? If Christ is willing to do that, there should be no excuse for us that we're too busy to have moments of prayer, right? We don't have to believe the lie of the enemy that we're involved in too many good things to stop some of them and pray because we find that It's true of our Lord. He's willing to push pause even on these great things of healing people to pray. And so, in light of how we defined prayer this morning, if prayer is faith and communion and worship, if those three things constitute prayer, then for Jesus, there was nothing else 
more important. There was nothing else important enough to intrude upon his times of prayer. For he longed to express faith to the Father. He longed to communicate with the Father. He longed to express worship to the Father. That should be our practice as well, church. Secondly, I want you to notice, he doesn't just withdraw to pray, he withdraws to desolate places to pray. In fact, I would say it's not enough simply to withdraw for prayer. You need to be alone. You need to be undistracted, unhindered, and uninterrupted for a deep time of prayer. To practice the discipline of prayer. Because even as a church, we withdraw for times of prayer, don't we? Every Wednesday night, we withdraw from the world to pray together. Every Tuesday night, the men withdraw from the things they could be doing to spend time in prayer. Other times in the year, we withdraw for special times of prayer. But withdrawing to pray together with the church is not enough to have a spiritual disciplined life of prayer. You must have times of prayer alone. Don't hear me wrong though, it is good to show up and pray in corporate prayer, even necessary to do that. But if you are only praying in public settings, you are not enjoying a full, satisfying prayer life. In fact, you can't even enjoy public prayer adequately if you're not saturated in private prayer. Jesus here in verse 16 Not only withdrew, but he withdrew to desolate places. Some of your verses may say deserted places. He went away from civilization. Went away from the crowds. Went away from the disciples. He walked away from everybody he knew simply to be completely alone. Like we read in Mark Mark chapter 1, the disciples often had to go look for him. They didn't even know where he went. He removed himself. His times of prayer were then focused. They were intentional. They were specific. They weren't just quick ramblings here and there. They were uninterrupted, undistracted. As he leaves public attention for the desert. He goes to a place where his thoughts could be focused. He goes to a place where his voice could be heard by no one else but God. There's nobody around him to ask him questions. No one was there to be healed. No needs are to be met. No one's there critiquing him. Here in verse 16, while we don't know the details, we do know that we find Jesus Christ alone with God. That's the kind of prayer we're talking about here. He is alone with God where his heart could be poured out where he could meditate clearly on the person and relationship he has with God, where he could sense the leading of the people, the leading of the Spirit, all, all the needs of the people, all the questions have faded away. There's no one around. That's what it means to pray and to cultivate a life of disciplined prayer. To lay down the cell phones, to lay down the relationships, the textbooks, the schoolwork, 
and block out a time of prayer. And those who value lives of prayer are willing to even work out with their spouses. I want you to watch the kids for 10 or 15 minutes every day so I can get alone and pray. We're going to work something out so we can have intentional times of prayer. I'm going to remove myself from my friends, from my spouse. I'm going to turn down an opportunity to go, to go out and have fun so that I can have a moment of prayer. Christ would look at all these things and say, it is worth that. It, it is worth saying no to going out and eating so you can have 10 or 15 minutes of praying. It's worth it. To spend time alone with God. Is that not one of the greatest blessings of salvation? You understand the magnitude of our God? The power of God? The holiness of God? And that He would save us sinners and redeem us in Christ's blood enough to where we can personally spend time with Him alone? What a privilege, what an honor, what a blessing. Because it's there alone with God where the Christian finds life, right? Would you feel most alive when you spend time with God? It's there where the Christian finds joy. Even in the midst of heartache and doubt and depression and confusion, don't you find joy when you spend time with God? There where the Christian finds hope. I may not know the future, but when I spend time with God, I'm comforted that He holds the future in His hands. It's where I find hope. It's where I find refreshment. It's where I find shelter and protection and love. All of that's found in the presence of God. And you have the complete access and confidence to the presence of God in prayer. Christ knew this. And so, in that light, the crowds mean nothing. The, the crowds can take a back-burning seat if I can spend time with God, the Father. The fourth thing I want to point out real quickly this morning, and it seems redundant to point it out, or the third thing here in this, this verse, is that Jesus not only withdrew, He not only got alone, but He actually got alone and prayed. It seems redundant to say that, but it's important to point it out. He's not just sitting around thinking. He's not just pondering on things. He is conversing with God. He is expressing faith to God. He is expressing communion with God and worship to God. He's setting His heart toward God. Drawing near to Him. Being moved by His presence. Because of those things that Jesus Himself would value it so highly. I get to meet with the Father. Jesus expressed all these things in, in prayer, dependency. Did you imagine having crowds of people gathering around you to be healed of their diseases and to be taught the, the Word of God? Of course He's expressing dependency upon the Father. Enable me to do this. Enable my body to do this. He's expressing faith in the Father. God, I know you can do this. We see that even when he, he's praying for Lazarus as he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Father, I know you hear me, but I'm praying this so that other people may see that you work through me and, and believe in me. God, help me to do these things that people may see and believe. You know, he's expressing his communion with the Father. There's nothing in Jesus' life 
that took precedent over his relationship with God. He knew the Father. He loved the Father. He desired the Father. Longed for the Father. We would take a great lesson from here, church. Let all the popularity fade away like Christ did so that you may fellowship with the Father. Jesus expressed worship in prayer. He knew the glory and worth and beauty of God. And if He has an opportunity to worship Him in prayer, you know He's going to take it. He is so willing to withdraw. He, he couldn't think of a better way to spend His time than prayer. I call this a challenging verse because when we think of prayer in these terms and we look at how willing Christ is to withdraw and pray, we realize how willing we should be to withdraw and pray. We have to express dependency and faith in God. If, if you don't, you probably don't know God and you probably don't know your own weakness. We have to express communion to Father. There is no other relationship you will ever have in all of eternity that matters more than your relationship with God. And you get to enjoy that now in prayer. We have to worship God. And worship is far more than just singing a few songs on Sundays. Worship is your life. And you have the privilege the blood of Christ as a Christian to draw near to God and worship Him personally, intimately from your own heart. Church, why do we not seize moments of prayer in our lives? What an honor. God not only saves us, but brings us into His courts, brings us into His presence to find Him when we need help, to relate to Him when we need Him, to worship Him for all that He's done. So believer this morning, I, I would encourage you look at verse 16 and don't just skim over it when you read it, but think about its implications and then strive to develop this attitude towards prayer in your own life. Begin to think this week, what can I lay aside even if only for five minutes to spend time with God outside of my normal times, my normal routine? For you can worship Him and commune with Him in such a way as Christ did. But if you don't have an active prayer life, or maybe you don't have the desire for an active prayer life, you may need to be asking, do I even know God? Because I think all of us who know God here this morning would know the value of prayer. If we've been changed in our hearts and our souls by the grace of God, we know how big of a privilege it is to meet with Him, to meet with such a Savior. You may need to examine your own heart. The, the fact that you don't have a prayer life may be the glaring sign that you don't know the worth of God. An, an unbeliever, you can't relate to God in this way until Christ has washed you of your sin. If you're not a Christian, you're still dead in your trespasses and sins in which you are walking and God is separated from sin sinners until those sinners are pardoned and forgiven and washed in the blood of Christ. If you don't know God as Savior, you don't know Him in a prayer life. 
believer, don't miss out on the great opportunity to spend time with God in prayer. And if you're not spending time with God in prayer, examine your salvation. And if you're not saved, you cannot relate to God this way. But let me tell you, if you come to Christ now for salvation, you will relate to God this way. You'll be able to express dependency and faith. You'll be able to commune with Him. You'll be able to worship Him in your own private and personal lives. Church, what an opportunity. What a privilege. Let me just tell you, we get to do that on every Wednesday night together. Don't, don't miss out. We get to do that, men, every Tuesday night together. If you have the opportunity, don't miss out. We get to commune with the Father together. But more importantly, take time in your own life to do these things. Take the leading and example of Christ on the privilege and importance of prayer and implement that, emulate that in your own life. Father, thank You for Your example, Lord Jesus. Thank You for Your example. There's not a double standard in Your callings, Lord. There's not a double standard between Your life and what You call us to do. You call us to be people of prayer and You had a regular practice of prayer. You had a mission, Father. Lord, you had, a, you had a mission on this earth. You did so much good even on your, on your way to the cross. You healed people, but nothing was going to get in your way of spending time in prayer. Father, let us take a lesson from that this morning. Let this challenge us to growth and maturity. Let it be a good thing upon our hearts. Let us grow and develop as a church an active prayer life just like You had, our Lord. And for those who are unbelievers here this morning, who want to relate to You that way, show their hearts, God, the Gospel. That You, Jesus, died for their sins so that they may have peace with God through You. That they may have a relationship with God. That they may be forgiven of their sins. You died for sins that we wouldn't have to die for sins. God, for those of us who are here this morning who are struggling with a prayer life, struggling and to find evidence of an active prayer life, Father, work on our hearts in conviction, work on our hearts in the truth of the issue that maybe we don't pray because we don't know You. Whatever it may be, Father, work within us, to grow us into Christ's likeness, work within us to develop this most important discipline that we may grow into mature and healthy followers of Jesus. We thank You for the Gospel. We thank You for the cross. We thank You for Your blood that makes this all possible. In Your holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.